NikkiSix.com. He showed me how to see that nothing is whole and nothing is Hello and welcome to Ruff's Ramblings. I'm your host, Justin, a.k.a. the Ginger Thriller, the podcast groupie, the Ginger Bear heartthrob, the Sultan of Self-Deprecation, and the guy who cannot think of a clever fifth, a.k.a. this week. Thank you all for joining me. I am Justin. If you are wanting to find me, you can find me on Twitter at Justin Ruff. You can find the podcast at Ruff's Ramblings. You can... Find me on Instagram at Phil's Fan Rough, P H I L S. You can find me on, or sorry, you can send me an email at roughsramblings at gmail.com. And thank you, everybody, for joining me. I am so thankful to have you all here with me for another week. Before I get in to the thing I want to get into tonight, the primary topic, I want to go over a little bit of modern urban speak there is a phrase known as mansplaining and the definition according to wikipedia and yes i'm using wikipedia as a source don't like it find me a definition somewhere else it means to explain something to someone characteristically by man to woman in a manner regarded as condescending or patronizing. By the way, if you want to have some fun, look this up on Urban Dictionary. Every definition, it seems like, is a guy saying a chick when a guy speaks to her. Mansplaining is really just, you know, when you explain something to a woman condescendingly or patronizingly. And I'm not sure patronizingly is a real word, but I'm going to make it one tonight. Well, a definition, or sorry, a branch of mansplaining is something called whitesplaining. This is defined by Urban Dictionary as the paternalistic lecture given by whites toward a person of color defining what should and shouldn't be considered racist while obviously exhibiting their own racism. The example they use of this is the night is the day that, excuse me, that Dr. Laura Schlesinger used the N word 11 times on a radio program. And it was explaining to an African American guest why they shouldn't be offended by its usage. And I just realized there is a typo in that sentence. So use the Urban Dictionary at your own risk. But I decided I am going to not mansplain, but I'm going to whitesplain a controversial subject tonight to white people. 
So I'm going to white explain to white people. I know your mind is probably blown just hearing this. But we're going to take a look at the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm tired of seeing white people who are offended by the fact that black lives matter exist. So I went to the black lives matter website and I did a little bit of research on their history. You may not know this, but black lives matter was founded when George Zimmerman killed Trayvon Martin in cold blood. Now, I know that he, that George Zimmerman had his day in court. He was found not guilty. But, come on, people. He saw a black guy he didn't like. He killed him in cold blood. If you go to the blacklivesmatter.com, and they call it a herstory, as opposed to a history, which, you know, why not? It began as a movement after Trayvon Martin was brutally killed or a 17-year-old kid had the life snuffed out of him by a guy by the name of George Zimmerman. And if we look at George Zimmerman's life since he was acquitted or since he was uh, named not guilty, if I use the wrong criminal justice terminology, please forgive me, that's not my specialty. After he was allowed to go not guilty for snuffing out the life of a 17-year-old kid who was going to the gas station to buy some tea and some Skittles, that story, that movement was founded. And then there's the story of 18-year-old Mike Brown who allegedly had his hands in the air saying, my hands are up, don't shoot. Story after story after story. On this solid history, there is a section there that I think white people need to have read to them because they still can't get it through their head that when people say black lives matter, we're not saying that yours don't. Here's what they say. And this is according to the three, the three founders, uh, Alicia Garza, Opal Tometi, and Patrice Kohlers. Black lives matter doesn't mean your life isn't important. It means that black lives, which are seen as without value within white supremacy, are important to your liberation. Given the disproportionate impact state violence has on black lives, we understand that when black people in this country get free, the benefits will be wide-reaching and transformative for society as a whole. When we are able to end hypercriminalization and sexualization of black people and end the poverty, control, and surveillance of black people, 
every single person in this world has a better shot at getting and staying free. When black people gets free, everybody gets free. This is why we call on black people and our allies to take up the call that black lives matter. We're not saying, and I, and please, this is the most important passage here. We're not saying black lives are more important than other lives or that lives are not criminalized and oppressed in various ways. We remain in active solidarity with all oppressed people who are fighting for their liberation and know that our destinies are intertwined. And to keep it real, it is appropriate and necessary to have strategy and action centered around blackness without other non-black communities of color or white folks for that matter, needing to find a place and a way to center themselves within it. And this is the part that's hard for me because I'd like to become a champion of Black Lives Matter, but I need to step back and realize that this is not my fight. It's my job to be part of it. This is not my job to lead this fight. It is appropriate and necessary for us to acknowledge the critical role that black lives and struggles for black liberation have played in inspiring and anchoring through practice and theory social movements for the liberation of all people. And they go on to mention some of the other great great movements. And if we are committed to a world where all lives matter, we are called to support the very movement that inspired and activated so many more. That means supporting and acknowledging black lives. So this continues to say, when we deploy all lives matter as to correct an intervention specifically created to address anti-blackness, we lose the ways in which the state apparatus has built a program of genocide and repression, mostly on the backs of black people, beginning with the theft of millions of people for free labor and then adapted it to control, murder, and profit off of other communities of color and, and immigrant communities. We, perpetu- we perpetuate a level of white supremacist domination by reproducing a tired trope that we are all the same rather than acknowledging that non-black oppressed people in this country are both impacted by racism and domination and simultaneously benefit from anti black racism so just because somebody says black lives matter doesn't mean your life doesn't matter and by you saying all lives matter you take away from the fact that they are trying to add value to their life so if your first reaction to somebody saying black lives matter is to say, well, what about this group of people? We're not talking about that group of people. We're talking about the fact if black lives matter. The question you need to ask yourself is, do black lives matter? And if the answer is, I don't know, then you need to sit and have a long, hard talk with yourself. About where we go from here. I believe black lives matter. And this has nothing to do with how I feel about cops. I love 
our police force, and I am very thankful for all that they do for us. But here's a quote from John Stewart. You can truly grieve for every officer who's been lost in the line of duty in this country and still be troubled by cases of police overreach. Those two ideas are not mutually exclusive. You can have great regard for law enforcement and still want them to be held to high standards. And again, this is a quote that has been attributed to John Stewart. If it's not, my apologies to whoever actually said it and my apologies to John Stewart or anybody hearing this. But it's possible to, that in our world, in our country, we can say, why do black lives matter less than white lives? And can we take a look at the struggle and see how we contribute to it? And can we maybe find a way of being able to listen to the people saying black lives matter without immediately reminding them that all lives matter. So think about that if you would. I will try and have more for you right after the break. You know what some cool shit do when you're drunk? Drink more drunk. Wait, drink more wine? Drink. I love wine. I think you've already started. Yes. <laughs> I but sure have. No, nah, actually, talking about Bible stories, the crazy-ass Bible stories in the Bible. Yeah, because there's some crazy-ass Bible stories. Like, I don't know any of these Bible stories because I grew up an atheist. And so, like, you guys told me, you guys told me about this crazy-ass story about God sending some bears to, like, go maul some kids because they made fun of this one fucking bald man. Yeah, and then he was like, who's laughing now, kids? <laughs> right? And then there was oh, then there was that story about that one guy who got real drunk in a cave and then showed his son his dick. Oh, wait, he didn't get drunk in a cave. It was a tent. There's that one story where that guy got really drunk in a tent and then he showed his son his dick. And then that guy's name was Noah. How come nobody ever talks about that? Everybody just talks about the Bodie built. <laughs> Hey, this is Allison Roeninger from the Tipsy Testament podcast, and uh, our podcast is essentially just that. We get drunk and we talk about Bible stories. We got two ex-Christians who are telling me, the Bible idiot, all the crazy Bible stories, and we have pretty cool discussions about it. So if that sounds like something that you're interested in, you should check us out at thetipsytestament.com. We're also available on iTunes and most podcast apps. And send us an email at thetipsytestament at gmail.com. And follow us on Twitter at Tipsy Testament and like our Facebook page. So if you really like to hear people drunkenly tell Bible stories, this is the podcast for you. Thank you for that. So I wanted to talk a little bit about my first experience that I honestly was never sure if I would ever have in my life, but it happened on Friday night and, uh, it was interesting to say the least. Now, looking back on it, you could probably see that there were some warning signs. They announced that there were going to be some people performing. And I looked at them and I was like, oh, is this like one of those gender-bending rock bands or heavy metal bands? Oh, this looks interesting. 
And then I saw it was at a new place that I'd never heard of before called Sue Ellen's. Now, if that doesn't sound suspicious for a type of bar, I don't know what does. But there was wrestling going on and they were doing a uh, first round of a women's tournament and uh, Taya Valkyrie was going to be there, Thunder Rosa, and I always try and see Thunder Rosa whenever I can. She's one of my favorite people in the wrestling business. And so I'm like, eh, why not? Let's see what we got going on. So I drive out to West Dallas. I think it's West Dallas. And I'm like, oh, I don't think I've ever seen this part of the town before. And I go into the parking lot. And I notice way more rainbows than I'm used to seeing. So I'm like, oh, this is new. So I look around to see if there was a tribute there to Noah's Ark. Because, you know, it's the buckle of the Bible Belt. And there might have a Noah's Ark reenactment passion play or something over there. Well... I go inside the bar. There's women. There's a lot of women. I mean a lot of women. And not a lot of men. So I'm thinking, oh. This uh, looks interesting. I see a wrestling friend of mine who happens to be gay. I see him and his partner there. And I'm like, oh, hey, how you doing? And, you know, I'm talking to him for a little bit. And looking around, this was not like any other club I have ever been to. So I asked the question any man would ask in my situation. Is this a gay bar? And turns out that the answer is yes. I was in a gay bar for the first time in my 37 years. Now, I am 100% straight. Sorry, guys. You know, I call myself the ginger bear heartthrob. I'm very happily married to my beautiful wife. And that is not the team I play for. So... Again, I know I'm going to break a lot of hearts for those of you who like your hairy ginger bears. I'm about as straight as they come. But I then realized that I was in a gay bar. A predominantly lesbian bar. And I thought, man, how many guys? This is like their whole dream in life to be in a lesbian bar so <laughs> once I realized what was going on I sat down in, in the seat and I found the sweetest old lady who was uh, a bar regular and we talked about wrestling for a very long time and 
had the time of our lives there. Well, something hit me while I was there. Why are more promotions not reaching out to the gay community for a very long time? Gay characters were the heels. Uh, I'm sure you probably know. I don't think anybody ever does. There was the uh, gay pair in XPW. Yeah, I think I'm the only person who remembers XPW. There was uh, Billy and Chuck. There was Lenny and Lodi in WCW. And these were just kind of played for laughs. Of Oh, hey, look, there's the spot where the guy falls into the crotch of the other guy. Wow, isn't this original? We haven't seen this in any other wrestling promotion. I remember watching an old IWA Mid-South King of the Death match tournament. And there was Peter the Hardcore Homosexual. And man, you want to talk about a guy who set gay characters back five to ten years. Whew. For a very long time, wrestling has been a very homophobic industry. But I hope that people are beginning to realize there is a lot of money to be made by catering to the gay community. And I know that there's some I know that there's some fetishes out there for wrestling. I I know that there's some of that going on. You know, no biggie. You you like what you like and don't kink shame. But it is really cool to see a wrestling promotion that is catering to the gay community. And the more they do that, the more money I think there is to be made in the gay community. Of course, having women like Machiko and Thunder Rosa and Taya Valkyrie and Christy Janes, having women like that at the lesbian or predominantly lesbian gay bar was a, that was a pretty brilliant idea. So I had the privilege of meeting. Uh, so so I, I guess uh, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. The major thing I want to go over is wrestling promotions. There's money to be made out there. All you need to do is make sure the boys get over their homophobia. And let's realize where there's the money to be made and go find it. So I had the privilege of meeting Taya Valkyrie, who is such a, uh, she's of course a very gorgeous woman and you can tell that she works very hard on her physique as you can tell by the arms that I'm pretty sure are twice the size of mine. And she still looks every bit as hot. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm comparing her to there, but she's she's pretty, pretty stunningly gorgeous. 
Of course, Thunder Rosa is also a woman who works really hard on her physique, and it's always great getting to see them. The evening was anchored by Jesse James and a drag queen whose name I do not remember. I gotta say, first time that I have ever seen a drag queen host a wrestling show. Now, here's how I approach the drag queens. So, are drag queens my thing? Not really. I appreciate the the color and the the aspects and all the different parts of their work to maintain their looks. I know it's a lot of work and a lot of time spent in that. Uh, I've seen Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. I think that's one of the most incredible, incredibly costumed movies in history as it did win an Oscar for Best Costume Design. And both, well, Terrence Stamp was already a, a, a legend from Superman 2. But Hugo Weaving and Guy Pierce were the other two gentlemen slash drag queens in that movie. And they have gone on to have some pretty major roles. Mr. Anderson? So I decided that, hey, I've got drag queens here in front of me. This is not really my preferred form of entertainment. Sorry, but there's aspects of it I can appreciate. You know, the guys out here working on their craft. I know a lot of work and precision goes into the makeup, their choreography. And also these drag queens would go on to dance in a wrestling ring. So they had their own specific choreography. I could appreciate that part of it. And I have a working theory that there are a lot of parallels between drag queens and prof- and indie professional wrestlers. I'm not there yet, but I have a working theory. So the first match of the night was Dante Smiley of Dot Mob taking on Noby Bryant. Now, Dante is such a natural babyface. He's so talented and such a good athlete. Dude has abs like um like most people have I don't know. He he has the abs most people in the world want spends a lot of time working on his physique and uh, he was taking on Nobi. You had a raucous crowd because I remember tweeting to a few people that I consider friends on Twitter saying, Hey, I'm at a gay club. This is great. I'm having the time of my life. And one of my, one of my friends, Charnel of uh, what about your friend said, Oh, it's still early. So <laughs> you haven't seen fun yet. It was a really raucous crowd and they loved the 
first match. You know, when you're doing a first match in front of a crowd, there's a lot of things that you don't realize about wrestling until you're there live. Um, I think that there was a problem with the ring where one of the boards kept popping out and uh, Bones and uh, Carl Knight did a, a great job of trying to minimize the risk there. And Dante, uh, the dot mob here, the dot mob is such a good faction. You have Jerome Daniels, you have Dante Smiley, you have Ty Wilson, and then you have Kenny Steele. So much talent in that one group. And usually they are... I always like to think of those four guys as baby faces, but here in this particular instance, they were the heels. Uh, Dante was a great job about being a heel. Ty Wilson was in his corner, kept the crowd engaged. Dante ended up after a leg flip or a leg trip from Ty Wilson. Dante pinned him up and Ty was able to help him hold this feet on the ropes to give him the leverage really nicely done and uh, kept Noby looking strong and credible. The first of our four ladies matches was simply luscious taking on Paige Turner. Now I remember watching Paige Turner as she was learning how to wrestle to see her now being in this position, turning heads at rise, as I understand she's doing. And if she hasn't, she sh- uh, rise fans next time you're there, make sure you turn heads. And she took on Simply Luscious. Now, I gotta admit, I followed Simply Luscious's career for a very long time. I might have had a little bit of a crush on her in the early 2000s with Ring of Honor. She was kind of a, a staple of the early Ring of Honor. And there was that generation of the women like Trinity and Alexis Lurie, now known as Mickey James, and where they were transitioning from the divas to seriously serious women's wrestlers. And so to me, being able to see Simply Luscious was kind of a markout moment for me. I was a little confused here. Uh, The match was fun, but my biggest problem was who am I supposed to be cheering here? We've got Paige Turner. She's a natural heel. She tells us to be quiet because she's a librarian. And then we have Simply Luscious who comes out with the fellow and he, uh, she hates everybody in the crowd. And so who, who am I supposed to be cheering for? Like, I, I don't understand what you want me to do. But I did write down that it was a fun match. So it's been a few days since it happened also. But the uh, winner was Simply Luscious who also won by using the ropes for leverage. I was kind of curious if every match was going to be won this way. I'll just leave that one alone. 
The next match was the tag team of tradition, which I know has Doberman, and I don't know who the Hispanic guy is in tradition, so my apologies. And then James Hawk is the manager. I love that the work that James Hawk puts out as a manager is just so good there. That tag team was taking on the tag team of Scott McKenzie and Danny Saint. Now, I haven't seen Danny Saint wrestle in forever, so it was nice to be able to see him back uh, in the ring. And you had uh, a really interesting match because, you know, I expected the Dante Smiley match to be pretty flippy floppy and high flying, but. This match really didn't rely on that. You had, they worked a really smart match with uh, Scott McKenzie taking on most of the punishment, doing the face in peril, taking on the really smart tag team that kept on finding ways to make sure that Scott McKenzie didn't make the tag. It was, it was a good story. And it didn't rely on any flippy floppy. They, McKenzie and Saint ended up retaining and it was a pretty entertaining match the next match was christy janes taking on baby d uh baby d is becoming one of my favorite wrestlers because the person behind baby d is such a really sweet girl and is my one of my three-year-old favorite wrestlers whenever we're going to wrestling my boy starts chanting baby d Baby D. One thing about this match was, and uh, this is also with the Paige Turner Simply Luscious match, is that they kind of did some spots that were meant, that normally I would say were meant for the guys, but here in the circumstances, they were meant for the ladies. Uh, and... Baby D did the, uh, or Christy, well, they both did a test of strength. And once Baby D did the, uh, once they got the test of strength, and, you know, they struggled through that a little bit, then Baby D started dancing along with everything. Much to the delight of the lesbian audience. So the crowd loved Baby D. Uh, The crowd was in love with Christy. Because, dang. (laughs) Um, Christy has a new Wonder Woman outfit. Looks wonderful. But she won and then was greeted by Franco D'Angelo who asked if she wanted to join the tradition faction, to which she agreed. The next match after that one was Cowboy Adam taking on Gregory James, the unholy. Cowboy Adam, this is my first time to see him. He's quite the studly-looking fellow. I think uh, he... He is the cowboy. And he when you think of a cowboy on the range, like a real cowboy, this is the type of guy you think of. 
he took on Gregory James and for something called the, I forget what it was called, the Journeyman's Championship, which I think is a really cool idea. I, I like any, I, I like different concepts. You know, I've been trying to get, I've been trying to find somebody who will make a host division for have something creative and unique like the a journeyman title is really interesting to me a lot of striking in this one and a, a pretty good stiff striking match uh, adam ended up winning the cowboy adam and this was not a title match it was a they're having a best out of five series and he won whichever one is in this level The next match was Franco D'Angelo taking on Jerome Daniels. Now, you had Tradition taking on Dot Mob. You had Heel versus or heel Faction versus Heel Faction. Or I guess Leader of the Heel Faction versus Leader of the Heel Faction. So, I'm not really... Again, who was I supposed to go for here? I'm not entirely sure. I like both of those guys outside the ring. Wasn't really sure what I was going to be able to do here. You know, nice, entertaining story between these two. Uh, one of the ladies of the night was, or one of the my favorite people of the night was a lady that I sat near that kept on yelling for Christy to take care of her man. I guess that was Franco in this particular instance. And Christy just sat at the table and gave her dirty looks most of the night. It was glorious. It got to the point where when after the match, Christy came over and flipped her off and had some had a few choice words to say to her. It was very inner. Uh, this was a nice, strong. Jerome Daniels and Franco D'Angelo have faced each other so many times. They know what to do. And it was just great to see them kind of surrender to what Terry Funk would call the dance. And uh, the winner ended up being Franco. The semi-main event was Machiko-san taking on Alley Cat. Now, Alley Cat, of course, came out with her, you know, rubbed her leg up against the fan close to the the ring. Um this was a second story balcony, or this was a second story or two story bar. So I was kind of concerned that Alley Cat would try diving onto somebody as she did uh, last time I saw her in Austin. Thankfully, she did not. She was the heel because you were going up against the hometown girl, Machiko, who works at this bar. So I did not envy Allie at all because if she had won, this crowd would have rioted. And everybody was talking about Machiko, like the hometown girl, and hey, our bartender Machiko is going to be wrestling tonight. Have Did you know that she did this? And 
she was definitely the hometown girl, and I'm pretty sure there would have been a riot had she lost. So, sorry to everybody else who wrestled on the show, but the pop of the night was definitely for Machiko. She got to do what not a lot of people get to do. She got to wrestle in front of her home crowd at her workplace. Not a lot of people get to do that. It was an excellent match between these two. Uh, Ali was in total heel form. And uh, Machiko ended up getting the win. And then we had our main event, which was Taya Valkyrie taking on Thunder Rosa. Now... I have seen this match before. Well, not this exact match, but I've seen these two wrestle before. The main event of the first ever Sabotage show was these two ladies. The Battle of the Luchadoras con Abs. And that's what I called it. And both of these ladies were so talented and gave so much in the first main event here. It was a great match between these two. The crowd was really into it. It made me a very, very happy man to be able to see. So also, uh, during the intermission, you know, usually you get up, go say hi to some of the wrestlers, get an autograph, take your picture with them, go to the bathroom. If you are so inclined, you smoke touch up your drinks maybe get a snack somewhere well here we had two drag performances are in the intermission rather than the standard traditional intermission boy you want to talk about a difference I also learned a very important lesson in life. I learned that if the drag queen host says, so who, who here, this is your first time at a drag show. Don't raise your hand. I looked around and I saw a bunch of other wrestling fans that I recognized that I knew this was not their first time. So I thought all their hands were going to go up too. Turns out I was the only one who'd never been to a drag show. This is akin to going to a comedy show and when the comedian says, who has kids? And you go, ooh, don't do that. Because the comedian will talk to you the rest of the night. It's really cool if it's Maz Jobrani. It's eh, kind of questionable if it's other comedians. Do not bring attention to yourself. I unfortunately did. <laughs> so I think the drag queen must have seen the fear in my eyes because he only asked me a few questions and moved on to somebody else he found would be better at roasting. But, you know, 
like I was saying earlier, I can appreciate the work that they put into their craft and their choreography and the makeup and the outfits and the personas. I'm, I understood that. So that part of it, I was able to appreciate. So for all in all, it was a wonderful venue. I had a great time being there. It was a wonderful crowd. I, and it was different. It's nice to have a wrestling show that wasn't just your local Elks Lodge. I made it. I made it my first time in a gay club. And I live to tell the tale. I will try and have more for you right after the break. Do you like rapping old men, Donald Trump impersonations, and sex robots? How about off-the-wall conversations that will make you wonder, how did we even get here? Well, Pointless Discussions is the comedy podcast for you. Join Paul Schroyer and Mark Reynolds every Tuesday when we open our world of comedy and disarray to any ear willing to listen and journey into the minds of two dudes who just want to talk about everything. Feast on our comedy buffet of hysterical sketches and peculiar characters, along with special guest interviews that you just might learn something from. Catch Pointless Discussions every Tuesday on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere you enjoy podcasts. Thank you for that. So I just wanted to take a few more minutes here and thank everybody for their time. Uh, here's what's going on with me the next few weeks. I have a Lucha Libre show coming this next weekend that I will be getting to see Rey Mysterio Jr., Penta- Pentagon Jr., Cerro Miedo from Lucha Underground, Matt Cross from Lucha Underground. They're known as Son of Havoc. Uh, Extreme Tiger, who I have been a huge fan of for a very long time. And then the weekend after that, Leva Bates will be in town. And my daughter is a huge fan of hers. So we will be going and uh, me and the kids. So just wanted to thank everybody for their time. I will just wanted to thank everybody for all their love and support. If you have retweeted, if you have shared, if you have posted on any kind of social media, thank you. I love you very much. If you like this podcast and want others like it, check out the following hashtags. Check out hashtag Pottern Family, P-O-D-E-R-N Family. Also check out the hashtag We All Win. There's some amazing podcasts there. And also check out a podcast or the uh, hashtag pods in color. Now, I am not a member of that, but I like to support the moves of people of color. And let's get some of the voices that aren't old, boring white guys like myself out there into the world. Uh, also check out DF hashtag DFW pods, 
Hashtag TX pods for Texas. And sorry, the DFW, I assume that everybody in the world knows who we are. It's the Dallas Fort Worth area. And then hashtag underdog pods. There's some great people under those hashtags. Please take a look at them. Check them out. If you want to, you can even tell them I sent you. If you are wanting to find me on Twitter, I am at Justin Ruff. You can find the podcast at Ruff's Ramblings. You can find me on Instagram at Phil's Fan Ruff. You can email me at ruffsramblings at gmail.com. And, and, or excuse me, if you're not annoying and not creepy, you can, if you so desire, friend me on Facebook. Uh, I'm the boring redheaded looking guy. Uh, that's about all that I have for you. Uh, thank you, everybody, for your time. And until next time, keep it rough. <laughs>